So in our meditation, we're cultivating these qualities of concentration, uh, including the quality of tranquility, calmness, uh, stillness. If we follow a very uh, elegant form in the meditation, uh, we cultivate stillness, and then uh, when stillness is cultivated, uh, we can notice what's disturbing the stillness. So, for instance, there may be, uh, after we've come into a place of stillness, uh, uh, and it may be subtle in the meditation, a little bit of anxiousness, as I mentioned in the meditation, or there may be a feeling of regret or worry. Uh, sometimes when we're meditating and towards the end I come into that place of stillness when I'm teaching, and. There's a little bit of anxiousness about the Dharma talk that I have to give. And we can uh, bring our mindfulness to that quality of dis-ease, that emotional dissonance, if you will. A uh, very just simple practice of bringing awareness to it. So we've often talked about this acronym that can be very useful for us, ABC, just bringing awareness, observing for a moment, just a moment, the feeling of dis-ease as it manifests in the body, just observing it, maybe labeling it, and then going back to the breath and touching into compassion for ourselves for our dis-ease and a lifetime of dis-ease. If we've done that skillfully in the meditation, it actually will lead to a strengthening of concentration because those little dissonances are uh, in the way of concentration. So when we bring awareness to what's interrupting the stillness, we're cultivating insight, but we're also developing concentration. Now this practice of bringing awareness to our experience uh, is one, of course, in our experience being, uh, you know, we, we talk so much about uh, emotions and emotional disease, which is what I'm going to talk about today primarily, that sometimes we forget, I think, that our experience includes many other things, including physical disease, but I do want to talk about emotional dissonance today uh, and the practice of, uh, in particular, bringing awareness to it outside of the form, out of the, out of the, outside of the meditation. Uh, but, you know, the practice is, is largely the same our level of uh, discernment may not be as strong because we don't have the same level of concentration, uh, but we still have an opportunity to develop discernment. Uh, and again, it's always a function, as really I'm going to talk about today, of how much concentration that we do have in all of our postures, specifically how much equanimity. So when we're outside of the meditation, as we go through our days, uh, we can uh, practice uh, being aware of these dissonances, this emotional dis-ease, if you will, experiences of dis-ease when the mind is afflicted. Uh, uh, and uh, practice, you know, in accord with this simple acronym of awareness, breath, compassion. 
know I talk about this a lot, perhaps uh, that's not really the issue, right? The issue isn't so much how much I talk about it, the issue is really how much do you actually practice with it. Uh, so uh, so this, this is why I talk about these things a lot, to, to remind us uh, that these are uh, practices that will, uh, you know, they're, 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 they'll be profoundly useful if we use them. Uh, so in practicing being aware, uh, you know, this A part of ABC, uh, being aware of emotions, practicing in this mode, uh, as we go through our days, you know, sometimes uh, there might be a strong emotion, anger or uh, fear that might arise, and certainly we can practice with that. Uh, what the Buddha referred to as blatant experience of mind, uh, more often than not, our experience is more subtle and it's extremely useful to work with things that are more subtle uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, which I'll, I'll just mention, I was gonna say I won't mention it all, I'll mention them a little bit. For one thing, they're easier to work with. They're a little bit harder because we tend to kind of let them go by the boards and not notice them, uh, but they're uh, uh, a little bit easier to work with and we develop insight, you know, the, the insight that you develop with a subtle feeling of anxiety is the same insight that you're developing with regard to a stronger, more blatant emotion, like a strong aversion, because you're learning the same things. You're learning the basic principles of the Four Noble Truths with whatever it is that you're holding on to. Uh, so uh, it's profoundly useful to work with subtle subtle emotions, subtle dissonances. So earlier today, there was just this little feeling of regret. You know, there was a thought about something from the past and a little twinge of regret, you know, that arose. And uh, I just brought my awareness to that. Oh, there's, there's regret, it's like this. Just bring a simple awareness to it. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's many of these very simple, uh, subtle, emotions that uh, uh, I would encourage you to, to practice with, uh, you know, a little feeling of disappointment or, you know, the more subtle movements of anxiousness or anxiety, uh, worry, uh, things that we might not think about, you know, uh, bringing attention to, uh, are very uh, useful to, to bring attention to, to bring awareness to, to practice with. And our practice, of course, is, our task is to bring awareness, to bring awareness, to observe the emotion. So if it's that little feeling of regret uh, or that anxiousness or that worry or that little disappointment or that little bit of uh, uh, self-criticism or whatever, uh, or feeling bad about ourselves or, uh, uh, you know, our task, you know, and again, we talk about this a lot, but it can't be said enough, I don't think. Uh, uh, our task is to observe. Our task is to observe. Uh, you know, our task isn't to try to change the experience. We're not trying to change the emotion. Uh, we're not trying to get rid of it. 
Okay? We're not trying to get rid of it. We're not analyzing it. You know, I mean, those are just sort of the top three. You know, we're trying to change it, we're trying to get rid of it, or we're trying to analyze it. Our task is just to observe it. You know, and it sort of can't be said enough because our tendency is to want to get in there and do something about it because we don't like it, right? We don't like it, so we want to do something about it. So can we just observe the experience? You know, the, the metaphor the Buddha gives that we mentioned so often is like one person looking at another, or a person standing looking at a person sitting on a chair, or a person sitting on a chair looking at a person lying on the floor. Now, in order to be able to observe in this way, uh, you know, some of its practice, we have to just practice doing that. And our tendency is to want to uh, interfere with it or analyze it. So, uh, you know, that's kind of habitual. So sometimes we have to just say to ourselves, just observe, just observe, uh, because, you know, we're so used to wanting to do something about it or trying to get rid of it. Uh, but our, our capacity really to be able to observe, uh, you know, with space, we talk about space, like one person looking at another, there's a subject-object relationship, there's space. Uh, you know, that's really uh, uh, an aspect of equanimity, right? So, you know, we're, we're meditating, we're developing our concentration in meditation, uh, you know, and that's why at the end of the meditation, when you have some space and this equanimity and stillness, it can be a good time to practice. When you're out there in the world, uh, you know, you're relying on the equanimity, the concentration you've developed in your meditation, but also the equanimity, the concentration that you're seeking to maintain as you go through the day by practicing what I've, over the years, have called natural meditation. You know, you're making an effort to go, as you go through your day, to be grounded, to be centered, to have equanimity, to maintain equanimity, uh, and then you put it to good use. So Ajahn Lee says you establish concentration, you maintain it during the course of the day, and then you put it to good use. One of the ways that we put it to good use is by bringing awareness to our dis-ease, our afflictions. So in order to be able to look at an experience of mind, even something that's subtle, like a regret or a worry or a disappointment, uh, and just observe it, you know, there needs to be some equanimity. So we're working in hard meditation to develop these qualities, to develop equanimity. We're working hard off the cushion to maintain uh, equanimity. If there's not enough equanimity and there's not enough space with an emotion, this is particularly germane See, it's not as much of an issue with a subtle emotion, right? You know, it's easier to get a little space, right? And that emotion is strong, and it's very hard to get space with, right? Uh, so uh, that's why working with subtle emotions is so useful. Uh, if an emotion is too strong, uh, or there's, and there's not enough space, you know, it's really, again, if there's not enough equanimity to be able to observe the experience, then we don't try to observe it because you're not going to be able to observe it. You're only, the only thing you're going to be able to do by bringing your attention to it is to cling to it. So we don't try to do that. What we try to do is just go to the breath, right? We find refuge in the breath instead of trying to be mindful of an experience. Uh, if, uh, you know, the Buddha said, if you can't do that, then just have compassion 
I'm suffering. I can't even stay with the breath. That's your default. Uh, so uh, not enough equanimity, refuge in the breath, not enough equanimity to stay with the breath even, go to compassion. That's a good sequencing to remember. Sometimes, I gave a Dharma talk on that a while ago, sometimes the best you can do is, I'm suffering, let me have compassion, please. So we're looking, you know, and again with these with these different afflictions, these different disease that might arise, disease that might arise, to be able to observe it with a little bit of space for a couple of seconds. You know, the, one of the reasons, the reason really, why uh, I you know I say a couple of seconds, and it's something that I've been saying for years. You know, long before you know people caught on that you know that's really about the window that you have is a second or two. You know, after a few seconds, you know, you know the window closes and you're just going to cling and hold on to it. It's very hard to hold that space in which you're observing something for more than a few seconds. You know, at higher levels of concentration, maybe you are are able to do that. Uh, but, you know, in general, particularly as you're going throughout your day, your ability to be able to observe something with space lasts a couple of seconds, you know, when there's real space, you know, and, and what we're striving for is to be able to look at things with space, you know, because that's how we can change, you know, that's how we can change our relationship to the experience and understand the experience and learn ultimately how to find freedom from it. There has to be that space so there can be wisdom. Without the space, there's no opportunity for wisdom. You know, so uh, you know, uh, it's hard because we're learning to develop space. You know, and if we have a lot of emotions, as many of us do, that are afflicting us, uh, you know, meditation can be really helpful so that we can have refuge from those emotions. But to really kind of work work with them, you know, this is why uh, we often. Uh, encourage you to you know seek other means like therapy and so forth to work with these emotions you know as we're putting in the hard work over days weeks months years decades to develop equanimity so uh, you have a couple of seconds there where there's some space uh, and there's equanimity uh, now equanimity includes acceptance. So in that space, there can be acceptance uh, as opposed to non-acceptance or judgment of the, uh, the emotion. Because what tends to happen with us is, uh, you know, there's an emotion, even a subtle one, and, you know, there's some kind of a reaction to it, right? A reaction to it. The judgment of ourselves, a judgment of the emotion, a frustration that it's coming up, whatever it is, a reaction. Equanimity is non-reactivity. Uh, uh, it it's includes acceptance, right? So, you know, if we're reacting to the emotion, if we're judging ourselves or judging the emotion, that's an indication that we're, uh, in large part, you know, it's an indication that we haven't developed an equanimity. Okay, we haven't developed an equanimity. You know, people say, I keep judging it, I keep judging it. You know, well, then you have to develop more equanimity. 
that's that's a tough one because for a lot of us because for all of us because you know equanimity takes time to develop it's it's concentration you know you have to put the time in uh, on the cushion so that you can learn to be able to observe things with equanimity so you have equanimity if we're judging our experience uh, if we're reacting to it that is an indication that there isn't sufficient equanimity. So judgment is a function in large part of lack of equanimity, of lack of equanimity. Reaction to an experience is a function of lack of equanimity. When equanimity is developed, then we accept the arising of the emotion. It's like this. There's the emotion. Look at that. Notice how you're relating to those emotions. You know, is there a reactive response, a habitual reactive response, a quality of judgment? When there's equanimity, we, there's acceptance when the emotion arises. Uh, we accept that you know, these are emo emotions are arising out of past karma. This is my karma. I've I've, you know, this is my conditioning, this is a habitual pattern, and we accept that. We accept that. Uh, we accept the fact that it's going to take some time to train the mind. You know, that these experiences are going to arise and they're going to be afflictive because they hurt when they arise, that little bit of regret hurt. You know, and it, you know, and it, and it called up, you know, all these other experiences of regret, right? That's conditioning, that's karma. So, you know, that little bit of regret or that worry or dissatisfaction is, is painful, right? You know? Uh, so, you know, when there's equanimity, you know, and the other qualities of jhana, then we're able to accept the fact that, uh, you know, this is the way things are. This is my conditioning, and it's gonna take some time to train the mind. I'm gonna put in all the effort I can to train the mind and to uh, understand these experiences and find freedom from them, but it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. So we used to call this spiritual maturity, right? You can measure your spiritual maturity uh, on how well, in part, in, on how well you're relating to afflictive emotions when they arise. You know, spiritual maturity in includes acceptance of the experiences as they're arising. These painful experiences, it includes patience, understanding, takes time, takes time. Not an easy, not an easy task we have as Dharma students to train the mind and find freedom from that which is burdening the heart. It's nothing, nothing more challenging than that in this life, you know? Much easier to go to the gym and you know, work on your abs, you know? Nothing more joyful, nothing more beneficial, nothing that'll bring you a greater happiness, you know? But we have to develop these skills and qualities, you know, so that we can, you know, meet this, this great task that lays before us in this life as Dharma students. So, you know, you know, in order to be a, you know, I mean, this is, 
sort of terminology I haven't used many often much recently, but you know, in order to be a true spiritual warrior, you know, you have to be well developed in your skills and in the qualities that are going to enable you to meet that which is difficult. And equanimity is the crowning quality, the crowning quality. So when there's equanimity, you know, we accept the emotion, we accept the karma of the emotion. You know, there's, we're, we're able to accept what's there, there's some space, uh, and, you know, with this space that's there, because the emotion is there, but it's not the only thing that's in our field of experience, because there's space, uh, when there's equanimity, when there's some space, we can observe the emotion, we can see it, we can accept it, uh, and at the same time, we can also recognize our goodness. We can also recognize our good qualities. Yeah, you know, this feeling of regret is here, this feeling of anxiousness, this feeling of worry, disappointment, sadness, you know, dissatisfaction, despair, uh, but it's not all of my experience. It's not all of my experience, you know. Uh, you know, I have a goodness that I've developed. I've practiced generosity and virtue. Uh, I'm making an effort to train the mind. The greatest form of our parami, our goodness, is the effort that we're making to train the mind. I may not be there yet, you know. I may be struggling with these different afflictions and these different forms of disease, but you know what, I'm making the effort. I have a goodness, I'm, in, you know, I'm doing this work. See, that's what equanimity affords us. We're able to see our pain with acceptance, but we're also able to see our goodness and the nobility of our effort that we're making to train the mind and to have a different relationship to that which is painful. This is why the Buddha has you develop your goodness first, your generosity and your virtue and your, your good qualities because now you're going to have to start. And then once you do that, then you can start to look at the things that are painful. You know, but you're doing that from a place of strength because you understand that you also have a goodness. You're developing your goodness. I always, I write about this in my book, Skill of Living. Uh, you know, I always equate this, and it's really the same thing with 12-step programs like AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, where, you know, when I got sober almost 30-some-odd 30, 30 years ago, uh, you, know, you know, for the first year or so, basically they just have you practice generosity and try to help other people and do service at meetings and start to feel good about yourself, build your a sense of self-worth and then after a year or so then you start looking at the things that are painful you go through the steps the 12 steps and you start looking at your your shortcomings you know but you do that from a place of strength You're, you 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 have an understanding of your goodness and now you can look into what's painful so equanimity enables us as we're looking at what's difficult to also be able to recognize there's enough space so that we can also remember our goodness. And when there's equanimity, we're okay with our mistakes and our shortcomings and the things that are painful. 
I mean, this is so difficult for us, you know? I mean, uh, you know, I remember when I began my journey, you know, many, many, many years ago, and I was going to therapy, and, you know, uh, my therapist, who I, you know, was a real benefactor for me, one of my several therapists, several benefactors, many benefactors really blessed, you know, she was really trying to work with me with, you know, uh, you know, being okay with my mistakes and my shortcomings and my and my foibles and my weaknesses and you know and it was like really hard for me you know and it, it's difficult to this day but it's better you know that's a sign of spiritual growth that um, I have more acceptance of my weaknesses and my shortcomings and my mistakes I still don't like them to some extent but you know there's more acceptance and more self-love. Uh, you know, it, it's very difficult for us. I know it is for me. I, you know, was always riddled with aversion to my my weaknesses and my shortcomings and the ways that I got caught up in emotions and the things that I did that were unskillful, driven by these different emotions. <clears throat> what I find is. Uh, you know, as we begin our journey of, of healing, you know, this kind of like, I mean, this is a, a fairly gross generalization, but that's one of my, my fortes. Uh, you know, there's kind of two forms of people. You know, one is people who are just riddled with aversion to their mistakes, you know, and their weaknesses and their shortcomings, just riddled with aversion and shame around them. That was sort of me. And then there's the other part, group that is just completely in denial, <laughs> so, you know, both of those forms are, you know, not so useful for us. You know, we all kind of have a little bit of both. So when there's equanimity, there's space, and when there's space, there, an acceptance of what's difficult, even if it's that subtle little difficulty of regret that I felt before. Uh, when there's that little bit of space and acceptance, then there's the potential for wisdom. There's the potential for wisdom, for the heart to understand. You know, this is what Ajahn Sumedho talks about when there's, when there's awareness of the emotion, if it's the worry or the dissatisfaction or the despair. If there's awareness and there's a little bit of space in that finger snap or those two or three finger snaps when you're able to hold the space, uh, you know, wisdom can be there. There's a potential for wisdom, and he calls it intuitive wisdom. In many ways, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do anything. Wisdom is already in the heart. The wisdom that's in the heart will understand the emotion, the dis-ease, and your relationship to it. But there has to be that space, right? And if there's judgment or non-acceptance of the emotion, the space closes down and there's no opportunity for wisdom. So sometimes I'll make a little subtle note when I'm bringing awareness in ABC to an emotion, just observe it so that there can be wisdom, you know? I mean, you gotta be careful about making too many notes, but you know, just reminding myself that if I don't just let there be awareness that I'm going to shortchange my opportunity for wisdom with regard to this emotion and all emotions and how I relate to them and what's necessary in order to find freedom from them. 
So when there's equanimity and a little bit of space and acceptance and we can just be aware and not do anything, there's potential for wisdom. There's potential for the heart to understand, for there to be wisdom, to connect to that innate wisdom in the heart. This wisdom understands that we're holding on, you know, that it understands that the problem is not the feeling of regret or dissatisfaction or worry. The problem is that we're holding on to that. That's the first noble truth. You know, wisdom understands that, you know, you know, in that space we can begin to see that and the wisdom in the heart understands that, that we're holding on. Wisdom understands that we're holding on to the regret and the fear and the anxiety and the aversion that we're holding on and wisdom understands we've been holding on for a long time. We've been holding on for a long time. This isn't the first time that we've held on. You know, we've been holding on in this way, probably to this particular emotion for a long time, for years, decades, a lifetime, maybe even previous lifetimes, but we won't go there for today. We've been holding on and we've been holding on for a long time. Wisdom understands the drawbacks of holding on. The drawbacks of holding on the Buddha said, is dukkha. It's what he called dukkha. There's a burden on the heart. There's a burden on the heart. I talked about this last week. There's a burden on the heart. We're blocked off from the heart. We're cut off from our, our, our goodness. We're not able to fulfill our promise, our wish for happiness. We're not able to fulfill our wish for happiness of heart because we're holding on. Wisdom understands that. Wisdom understands that, the heart understands that. It's when there's space, when there's equanimity, you know, there, that understanding can develop. The wisdom in the heart understands that we're holding on and that we don't have to. We don't have to hold on. That which we're holding on to doesn't have to be held on to. It's not who we are, it's not self, it's anatta doesn't have to be held on to. That's an understanding that the mind in all its glory can't, uh, can't appreciate. So if there's some space, if there's some space, acceptance, the potential for wisdom, wisdom develops and the fruition of that wisdom or the first level of fruition of that wisdom is what's known as disenchantment. Disenchantment is the first level of wisdom. Uh, when there's disenchantment, uh, we're disenchanted with holding on. And we're disenchanted with the emotion itself. You know? uh, uh, and we're able to just abandon it. We don't have to do anything, we just don't hold on anymore. think of you know sort of abandonment is like you know your your car breaks down if you you know back in the day I had a few clunkers you know they'd break down on the side of the road you know you know abandonment is just car breaks down just abandon you know if you want to take the license plates off you know you don't have to blow the car up or anything just leave it there you know so our practice is just observing just observing, just observing, just observing. 
And again, making that note in my mind is something that's useful. Just observe. I just have to remind myself because there is that habitual tendency. So for this week's homework, I would say once a day, practice A, B, C, and try to practice it with something simple, something subtle, something subtle. So, you know, you know, don't get out your pen and pad after the Dharma talk and like write down your most painful emotions, you know. Try to practice with things that are subtle. It's very powerful when you really work with things that are subtle because there tends to be a little bit more space, right? So. You have to be on your toes a little bit, but if you resolve to do that today, as, 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 the, as the teacher gives his assignment, once a day you notice, oh, there's a little disappointment. Oh, I was going to go to the, the flea market, but it's raining. Ah, oh, there's a little disappointment. Uh, okay, or it's raining. I was going to go for a walk. Oh, there's a little That's a good one. That's a good one. You know, it's just, I mean, for some of you that might not be subtle, but ah, oh, it's a little disappointment. I can't go for my walk today. I was going to walk, go for a nice walk. It's pouring. A little disappointment. How can I just bring awareness to that? I like to use that metaphor. Sometimes I'll say to myself, look at it like one person looking at another. You know, you use these little cues, right? The things that we've learned. We remember what we've learned. Look at it like one person standing and looking at a person lying down. Uh, or Tanisara Bhikkhu used to say to me, use the part of the mind that observes. So sometimes I'll remind myself of that. Use the part of the mind that observes. Sometimes I, uh, I get to know what that's like. What's it like to, you know, to look at an experience like you're looking at somebody else, an experience of mind. Uh, what's it like to use the part of the mind that observes? Awareness, breath. Breath enables us to maintain non-involvement with the emotion. We're not trying to do anything about it, but we're just not involving ourselves with it. And we also develop wisdom when we go to the breath because we begin to see that we can put our consciousness elsewhere, that there is an escape, that we don't have to focus our consciousness. We see the conscious on the object on the emotion, we begin to understand that consciousness is not fixed. This is the fifth aggregate. We could put our mind, our consciousness, where we choose to put it. So we begin to understand the not-self nature of the fifth aggregate of consciousness and our capacity to put our minds where we choose to put them. That's wisdom. Most people don't realize that they can put their mind where they want to put it. Now we are training ourselves to be able to do that. They don't realize that they can do that because our minds are so habitually inclined to focus on certain things that we don't think we have control over the mind. To some extent we don't because of our past karma and our habitual use of our consciousness, but we can train the mind so that we can retake our consciousness and be free. Retake control of our consciousness. So that understanding is developed when we go to the breath. Oh, there is an escape. I can put my mind somewhere else. Consciousness is not fixed. And then C, ABC, compassion for the holding on, the holding on to these emotions, that lifetime of holding on. All the tears that we've shed in all these lifetimes, holding on to these afflictive experiences of mind. Can we have compassion for ourselves, for our our pain and the way uh, our hearts are blocked and the burdens that are on the heart. 
So I'll end there today. Uh, we could just close our eyes just for a moment.